Hello, welcome to um, episode 3 of this little Twitter Q&A that I've been doing for a while now. Thanks to everyone that sent a question in. This time I actually got quite a lot, so unfortunately I can't answer everyone's, but I'll try and get through 7 or 8. And um, yeah, just do 25-30 minutes, because the last one was quite long, so ideally I just want to speak for yeah, like half an hour. So yeah, let's let's go. First question is have any players impressed you so far this season that you were not expecting? So obviously it's just two weeks in, so it's hard to be like blown away by anyone because anyone could just have two good games. Like last season, I remember Shane Long had like a man rider form, so and he's dog shit. So two games doesn't really mean anything, but. Pookie's like the clear one for me. Team of Pookie. Um, I was not expecting him to get... I wasn't expecting him to get a goal at Anfield. And I definitely wasn't expecting him to get a hat-trick this season. Let alone in the second week. So, the thing is... I, I saw like his... His sort of... Um, like his record at other clubs. And he's not been prolific anywhere other than Norwich. So, he did terribly in like, I like Celtic and in Germany. So, yeah. Obviously... Players can just magically become good, like, out of nowhere. And certain leagues and stuff can suit them and they become good. So, yeah, I just I just didn't expect him to be, like, this good straight away. He just, to me, he just seemed like an obvious 7-8 goals, um, you know, type of striker. Like, I didn't think he'd start this well. Especially, like, how many championship strikers come up and are absolutely terrible. You know, guys like Dwight Gale, um, Jordan Rhodes... Cameron Jerome, you know, guys like that, they all score like 20 plus in championship. And then when they come in the Prem, it's like the club needs to sign another striker because these guys just always flop. So, yeah, obviously, he could not keep this up. Like, he could still be terrible, but he's definitely like impressed me so far. And I, I wasn't expecting it at all. And even like his underlying stats, like, it looks like he should keep this up for a while. Like, I've seen he's taken 10 shots in the box so far which is the joint highest in the league with Sterling. So it's a good sign. Like like pretty much all his shots are coming from close to goal. So yeah, I genuinely think he could hit like double figures this season. And it's not just his goals. Like at Anfield, he, like his all-round play was really good. Like he set up a couple of chances for, um, I forgot his name, that midfielder with the long name, but he set a couple of chances up for him with like little back heels and stuff like that. And he just looks really good. Like, he doesn't just look like a penalty box striker. He looks really good all round. So, yeah, Pookie is the standout one for me so far. But, as I said, it's only been two games. So, he could still turn out to be dog shit. Who's the top three players in the Premier League? Is the next question. So, for me, yeah, I'd say... For me, yeah, Salah and De Bruyne are, like, clear like of everyone else. Like, I don't really... I don't really mind like which order people put those two in because before his injury De Bruyne was the second best player in the league behind Hazard like I had him above Salah but it's hard to still have him up there like because he didn't do like last season you can't really judge him you can't really hold anything against him for last season but in the meantime Salah was putting up like ridiculous numbers once again so it's more a case of he's just stood still whereas Salah has gotten a lot better rather than he's, like, declined or anything. I actually thought he declined last year after a few games, which was, you know, 
completely like I remember the Carabao Cup final he looked so bad against Chelsea and then games like Fulham away I think De Bruyne just looked so rusty but like it's pretty clear that he's still amazing and if not at his best very close to his best so Salah versus De Bruyne is like they're just clear for me and I personally prefer Salah but you know the you can easily make an argument for De Bruyne being better and then the third pick is pretty tricky because uh, the thing is, yeah, Van Dijk's clearly like one of the most influential players in the league. So Liverpool's defense has gotten a lot better because of him. And yeah, he's clear like he's the best defender in the world, no doubt. He should be up there for Ballon d'Or this year, top three. But I just find it so hard to compare compare defenders to attackers because there's no like. Like what do you what do you use to compare? Obviously Sterling or Mane, whoever you think is third best, they obviously score a lot more goals, and they contribute a lot more to the team because they're they're bloody winning the match, like goals win games. But you know you can't hold that against Van Dijk, so I just don't know how you would compare them. So for me, I don't even I don't even acknowledge Van Dijk in those sort of lists. I, I say like like he should be up there for Ballon d'Or because. He's been probably Liverpool's best player last season, and you know, and I have Mane like third. That's my that's my way of thinking about it. But um, but I just I find it so hard to just compare them. Like, impossible. Like even the argument that um, one like Van Dijk's more important than Mane or Salah to Liverpool. That's only because Liverpool's other defenders are like it's quite a big drop off for us. Say Salah gets injured, Mane still has Firmino to sort of, you know, create for him and Origi's decent. So, say Liverpool signed Koulibaly and sold Mane, that wouldn't make Salah a better player, but he'd instantly become more important than Van Dijk just because he would then carry that whole attack. So I don't really like the whole argument about, oh, this player's more important than this player, you know. Um, So yeah, for me... Me personally, it's between Salah, um, it's between Sterling and Mane. Um, I would have had Kane and Aguero up there as well, but I just think these last twelve months, Sterling and and Mane have just improved so much. Whereas Kane and Aguero have sort of, Kane especially has just sort of, I don't know if he's declined, but he had a quite bad season, and Aguero is just slowly declining every year. So Sterling is like clearly City's best attacker now, and Mane is like matching Salah's numbers like goal wise anyway so for me it's between them two um like the whole Salah and De Bruyne thing I can't really split them like I keep flip flopping like after every game but um but I would probably say Sterling right now is probably just a bit better but I can't argue if someone says Mane because it is really close um I think Sterling's just like a slightly better goal scorer and he's got better off the ball off the ball movement and um yeah, like I think Sterling will outscore Mane this season and for the next few seasons, like I think he's gonna get twenty, twenty five goals in the league. Whereas Mane getting twenty two last season was a bit of an bit of an anomaly, I think, or a bit I don't know, I think his his finishing has never been great and last season his like expected goals was about fourteen fifteen and he got twenty two, which is a like overperforming by quite a lot. And that's not to say like he can't overperform by a bit. Like say he gets twenty goals this season, it's not like I wouldn't be like shocked or anything. But I think it's much more likely. Like Sterling gets a lot more chances than Mane, and his finishing is probably just a bit worse. So 
I think Sterling will outscore him. And if you look at how creative they are, I think it's pretty similar. Like in terms of, I know obviously Mane got one assist last year. Sterling got like ten, eleven, whatever. But like in terms of build-up play, I think Mane's a lot better. Like his his link-up play with full-backs and just his passing in general is a lot better than than Sterling's. But Sterling's movement allows him to get into more positions to assist. If that makes sense, like he. A lot of Sterling's assists are crosses along the box which someone else taps in or cutbacks and and that's not like bad or anything but that is that is down to him having better movement than Marnie. Marnie doesn't run in behind um, sort of to, to cross much or to pass much if that makes sense. A lot of Marnie's runs in behind are purely to finish just to, you know, just to score, get in the box. So yeah, they both have a lot of different qualities and I can't really split them like uh, probably Sterling by like a little, you know, by a little bit. But that could easily, that could easily change. Like you could say Marnie's better in big games and he's done more in the Champions League stuff like that. You know, so it's pretty hard to, to it's pretty hard to argue. Yeah, one's a lot better than the other. But yeah, for me, it's it's them. It's between them two and yeah, Sterling by a little bit. Um, next question is what defines a world-class player? For example, is it a top three slash five player in the world in that position? So, I actually hate the phrase world-class. Like, for me, yeah, it's so it's so subjective. It just doesn't mean anything to me. Like, it's just another way of saying someone's, like, really, really good. But it's, like, really black and white. So, someone could be marginally better than someone else. And, but one of them is world class and one of them isn't and I don't really like that whole I don't really agree with that so but I, I get why people say it like someone like um don't know like who's world class someone like Neymar is clearly world class and someone like uh, I don't know like Pepe Nicholas Pepe is clearly not so I understand like why people use those kind of terms but I just I just try to avoid them usually but yeah, I don't really agree with the whole top three slash five thing because, like, the quality of attackers is so much higher than the quality of defenders. So you look at the top five right backs and left backs, for example. You've got guys like, like, like someone like Ferland Mendy is probably top five left backs, you know, or Alaba or someone like that. And top five right backs, you probably have like Cancelo and. Um, Maybe one Bissaka, I don't know. I don't. I can't think of it off the top of my head. But those are the kind of players that are top five in their position. And then when you look at centre forwards, top four or five right backs is guys like top five four centre forwards is guys like um Lewandowski and Benzema. You know, guys that are clear like they're clearly world class. Like there's no debate. So I don't agree. Like you can't have a fixed number of. You know, you can't have like a fixed number for each position because it just there's just so many better forwards than there are defenders and right backs and stuff like that. So, so yeah, for me, yeah, world class just means you've been you've been doing it for a while now, a couple of seasons at least. You've done it at the highest level, so Champions League, um, and you play for one of the best clubs in the world, like or one of the best leagues at least. So. You know, you can't be playing in Russia and you're considered world-class. Like, if Messi went to Russia, I'd probably have to... St- like, I'd probably just not consider him world-class anymore, even if he scored, like, 50 goals there, just because it's not a serious league, you know. So, yeah, that's how I'd say it. I think 
the worst players that are world class is like guys like Aubameyang probably someone like that so there's only like 20 30 players that are world class in in world football so to say like 10 of those should be dedicated to just fullbacks i think it's a bit it's a bit nuts but but yeah that that's my take on it and yeah hopefully that answered your question what's your favorite mediocre premier league player ever so that's a tricky one yeah because why would you have a, a favorite media player that's that's shit you know like there's not really much like logic for that but i kind of get like why you'd have a soft spot for certain players that are like you know they're good to watch but they're not that effective you know someone like ben Arthur or someone like that so for me yeah i think Adama Traore is like the obvious one. Like he's so good to watch. Like I could watch him take on fullbacks all day long. But he's just not good, is he? Like I don't even know if he got he got like one goal last season, one goal, one assist maybe. Like he's not good at all, but he's so good to watch. So I do have a soft spot for him. Like I want him to do well. I want him to become a good player. But there's no way I can. He's like he's a definition of mediocre. So Adama Traore. Um. And from from like a Spurs point of view, there's some players that you have a soft spot for because you like them and they play for your team, but you know they're not great. And I think maybe it's harsh to say mediocre, but I always loved Aaron Lennon so much. Like when I was young, and I didn't really understand football much, like just watching him dribble past players and you know be quick, like it was so good to watch. So when I was growing up, I loved Lennon so much. Like I preferred him to. Bale, you know, Van der Vaart. I know he wasn't better than them, but I, I preferred him to, to them guys. And, yeah, like, when I was older, I realised, like, this guy's never scored more than five league goals, which is terrible. And this guy's just not gro- not very good, is he? But I always loved Aaron Lennon, so, yeah. That's why, that's that's my favourite mediocre player ever. Um, Yeah. Next question. Um, I actually love this question so much. Um, do you think fantasy football has a positive or negative impact on watching football, especially in watching your rivals play, but there are few of your of their players in your team per se? So the thing is with this, yeah, it's probably made me playing fantasy football like semi sort of seriously because it's not like life or death or anything. Um, but like sort of checking my team every week, you know playing in a league with friends where you're playing for cash stuff like that um it's definitely made me a worse Spurs fan so there's definitely instances where I don't have Kane and I'm hoping he doesn't score because I don't have him in my team and everyone else does or the best example I can think of is last season when Son was just about to go to the Asian games like there was like maybe four or five games it was around the Christmas period and I kept saying to myself, like, I'm not going to get him because if I get him in, I'll just have to transfer him out in a couple of weeks and it's just a waste of transfers. But he just kept scoring and it was ridiculous. He kept scoring, like, two goals and goal and assist and stuff like that. Like that. And then everyone else that sort of plays fantasy football a lot more sort of casually, they were just, they weren't even, they probably didn't even know about the whole Asian games thing. So they brought in Son and he kept getting these points and it was so annoying because... I was just overthinking it, like, yeah, it's too late now, I've missed the boat, blah, blah, blah. And it was making me, like, like hope Son doesn't score, which is nuts, because he's, like, he's probably my favourite Spurs player now. And, 
yeah, fancy football just made me not want him to score because I had him in my team, which is, yeah, it's crazy. But, yeah, I'd say fancy football definitely made me a worse Spurs fan. But, in, like, overall, as a, as a football fan, I've definitely become more of a just... I've taken more of an interest in football in general, like, just teams that I wouldn't usually watch. I watch now because I've got a player in my team or, you know... I think I've just become a lot more aware of teams outside, the, you know, the top four, top six, because of fancy football, and I think that's great. Like I think playing fancy football has sort of, um, it's sort of made football more enjoyable for me. Like it's had a positive impact overall. Even though I'm a worse Spurs fan, does that re- does that really matter too much? Like as long as I'm enjoying football as a whole a lot more, I don't think that's like a big problem. And yeah, considering I watch maybe six, seven matches of football a week, like especially on weekends, I'll probably get through about three on Saturday, three on Sunday. Um, and yeah, sometimes it's Monday night football as well. And sometimes midweek football. Um, like Spurs, I probably watch, I watch like one Spurs game a week. So at most, Spurs games constitute about what, 20, 20% of matches that I watch. So the fact that 80% of those are now more enjoyable because, you know, I've taken more of an interest in teams other than Spurs, that has, I think that's great. That's actually great as a result of fancy football. So hopefully that answers your question. And yeah, that is like a really good question. I enjoyed answering that. Next question is talk about Bernardo Silva on the wing compared to a centre mid. So... Yeah, first things first, yeah. I don't really think... I don't really consider City's centre mids as centre mids because they're not... Re- like, they're... You know, David Silva, De Bruyne and Bernardo Silva, they're not centre mids. Like, for me, they're, they're attackers. They're attacking midfielders. They're playmakers. So... Yeah, I wouldn't consider him a centre mid, but yeah, him centrally. Um, and, yeah, I'm glad someone asked me this because... I get I get quite a few people tweeting me like, oh, you've got this agenda, you need to stop this agenda against Bernardo Silva, blah blah blah. And I get why people like say that, I get why people think that, but you know, I tweet about him a lot, like quite a few negative things, but I, like I genuinely rate him like really highly, like, you know, he's clearly one of the best midfielders in the Prem, probably in the world. Definitely last season he was the best midfielder in the world. Um but yeah, it's more like on the wing that I have a problem with him. But yeah, as an attacking midfielder, like he's pretty much everything that Pep could want from yeah from from his centre mids and his system. Like he dribbles a lot into dangerous areas, you know, which guys like David Silva, De Bruyne, Gundogan, they all can't do. Um. Uh, obviously, really creative, like. Maybe not in terms of uh, like the final ball, but his in terms of like build up play, he's amazing. Like his, like his just dribbling and you know his link up play with the wingers and the fo- like his like he is probably like a dream for the right winger and the right back because his link up play with them is so good. Like I think with Cancelo now joining, um, he's just gonna get so much more so many opportunities to cross and get forward with Bernardo there playing either on the wing or centrally you know sort of on the right centre mid position so as a centre mid like uh, or centrally he's amazing like yeah there's no doubt about that 
sort of reminds me of Iniesta a bit, like a slightly worse, well, a worse version of Iniesta in his prime. And, yeah, he does a lot of defensive work as well, which is kind of, you wouldn't really associate with those technically gifted players. But, yeah, he just runs his socks off. Like, I remember the Liverpool game um, at the Etihad earlier this year, well, last season, I think he broke, like, records for how much distance he covered. And, yeah, like, he's just... For Pep, he's like a dream player. Like he's so good, but um, but yeah, there's like I don't think anyone can deny he's good centrally. It's more on the wing that I have a problem. So I just think he's really wasted there. Like I think the main reason people rave about his performances when he plays on the right are just because he's good to watch. Like from an aesthetic point of view, he's really good to watch. Like the other day against Spurs, he did that little that little bit of tight control and dribbling and whatever and then gave away a free kick and it feels like the general perception of Bernardo that game on my timeline or on just in general was really positive like yeah he was really good and I feel like that that stemmed from just that one thing that he did he didn't actually create much and he didn't really get many chances to score he had one shot in the box um second half I think so I'm not like a robot that doesn't sort of appreciate these things, but you can't be praising, or you can't be, yeah, you can't be praising players, wingers for stuff like this when, you know, and then criticizing players like Salah and Sterling and Marnie because they miss chances. Like what Bernardo offers on the wing is is good. Like he, his link-up play with De Bruyne especially is like really good like i think he pre- got a pre-assist f- um for both of the goals like he he set up the brain for both of the assists basically and like i said with Cancelo joining he's probably gonna help Cancelo a lot but i just think all of this that he does isn't that doesn't make him a great winger and it feels like the reason that people think he's a great winger is because he's so good to watch like He's like a much slower version of Messi on the wing. And he also doesn't score at all or create anywhere near as much. That's how I see it. So, yeah, I think people just have this idea in their head that because he's so, he can do magical stuff with the ball, that he's like next level. Whereas you've got guys like Salah that are a lot, sort of, mm, a lot less enjoyable to watch, I think. So, you know, like a lot of people would agree Salah's not a great player to watch dribble. Like he's sort of jammy like when he beats players but his dribbling is so much more effective than Bernardo's so you know he's so much better at beating players and getting into shooting positions than Bernardo is a lot of Bernardo's sort of dribbling is to sort of um, sort of keep the ball and to get out of tight spaces and to get um, to relieve pressure and I feel like that that is good but that is only not an issue because or his lack of goal scoring is only not an issue because he plays for City and because he plays for a pep team which dominates which has like 70% of possession every week so Bernardo Silva not scoring isn't an issue for City because Sterling can get 20 a season Aguero can get 20 a season you've got like Sane, Morris and Jesus who they didn't even start last season and they got about 25 league goals combined um, obviously Bernardo chips in with about 6-7 a season same with David Silva De Bruyne like there's goals all over that team so Bernardo Silva not scoring isn't an issue but I just think the fact that he doesn't have to score or be that creative on the wing the only reason that isn't an issue is because he plays for Man City 
and because he plays in that team. So I think he's much more of a system player than like Sterling is, for example. Like Sterling would still get really good numbers at uh, you know any other team pretty much because his off the ball movement is so good and his finishing is pretty like he's getting better and better at finishing. Whereas Bernardo, you put him at any other top six team, and yeah, his goal scoring like lack of goal scoring would then be an issue. Like he would he'd be a good creator, and he'd still have quite a few good performances. But if you put him on the wing for like a Tottenham we get a lot worse than if we've got like a Sonder or a Lucas there you know so that's my main problem with him like the fact that he doesn't score is not like that's not criticism of him as a player but it's it's and I don't think like City are going to suffer because Bernardo doesn't score much but I feel like that the only reason that's not a problem is because of that specific system like his skill set and what he offers you know, is really specific to Pep's, you know, a team that has a lot of possession, so that's my main issue with it, and yeah, like, I, I, yeah, like, that's, that's, that's pretty much, I think, like, someone like Sane, yeah, outside of, outside of, um, for any team other than City, for example, he would probably be, well, he'd almost definitely be a better winger than Bernardo, so for City, yeah, Sane gives the ball away a lot, and you know and Pep doesn't like that because he wants the ball he wants to have a lot of the ball to help break teams down and Bernardo's perfect for that because he's just so good at keeping the ball as we saw on Saturday in that clip but you know that that doesn't I don't think that makes him like an elite winger the fact that he's great at keeping the ball um great at linking up with you know like his job in that team when he's on the wing is to help De Bruyne basically is to get De Bruyne into good positions so he can put the final ball in Bernardo's not the guy that that puts like that final cross in or you know he gets the occasional assist of course he does and he gets the occasional goal but yeah his main job in that team is just to make other players play better and I don't think that makes him a great winger you know I see a few tweets saying like yeah he's a world class he's world class in two positions and I just think like he's just not like he's not a world-class winger at all and he's really wasted there but you could argue like is is that really a problem you know because De Bruyne is probably the best midfielder in the world and he plays in that exact same position so the fact that he can sort of help De Bruyne like his passing for De Bruyne his link up with De Bruyne is so good that it's not really it's not an issue at all that he's on the right but me personally I think he's wasted there and I find it annoying that loads of people seem to still rate him on the wing, just like he's playing centrally. Like, it doesn't matter where he plays, he's still good. But, yeah, I just think there's a big drop-off in his contribution when he's on the wing to centrally. Um, and, yeah, I think that's pretty much it. Like, obviously, I wrote a few notes to try and... Because there's a lot I have to say about this whole thing, because I just get so Not so many, but I've got, like, five, six tweets saying like yeah why do you always criticize Bernardo you've got an agenda blah 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 but yeah like I, I genuinely don't I just I think I think it's a waste that he's he's now being used as a winger this season but you could argue that it's just it's City are a better team overall with De Bruyne essentially and Bernardo on the wing you know um a lot of people have said as well to me that he was uh good at Monaco on the wing and yeah, like he's he's a good winger. I'm not saying he's shit on the wing. Like he's clearly not shit. But even at Monaco, they had two like really good goal scorers. Like they had Mbappe, they had Falcao, 
And on on the other wing as well, they had Lemar, who's clearly like a he's like a great example of a system player. Like his main role in that team was just to put crosses in and tuck in centrally and like you know um, find uh, Mendy overlapping, who was amazing going forward. So yeah, that's that's how I see it and. I don't want people to think like, oh, I don't rate De Bruyne or I don't rate Bernardo because I rate him really highly. Like, after De Bruyne and Kante, he's probably the best midfielder in the league. Like, yeah, he's like, he's seriously good. But as a winger, I just don't think... I think the the, the best example I can think to compare him to is Iniesta at Barca. Iniesta played on the wing, like, a couple of seasons maybe. And... His what he did, what he was really good at, good at was dribbling into dangerous positions, um, linking up with Messi and being creative, sort of having that you know that chip over the top. Um, just his passing, like he was really good on the uh, on on the wing. But that was very specific to that team and that system, you know. So I don't think he could replicate those performances on the wing for you know another team, you know, from Madrid or something. So that that's how I see it with Bernardo Silva. I don't think he could sort of um what he offers right now, I don't think that would be enough at a club that didn't have so many goal scoring options and that didn't need possession constantly. You know, at Liv- a team like Liverpool, he just would he would have to be essentially or he just he would probably um I don't know what he'd like he'd he'd probably still start for them just because he's really good. But he'd be so wasted there and that's just how I see it. I just don't see him as a winger at all. I think it's the equivalent of playing Prime Iniesta or Isco on the wing. Like you're just wasting their what they're good at basically. And if you play him centrally, it allows you to play another wide attacker or another wide midfielder that can actually get a lot of goals. Because Bernardo will never be that guy that gets solid numbers, and that's fine. He's not that type of player. But if you play Bernardo centrally, that also allows you to play Asani or Amaras on the wing who do get really good numbers. Not Sterling numbers, but they still get, you know, they can get 10 goals, 10 assists a season for C. So, yeah, I think I went on for that for, on that one for quite a long time. But, yeah, I just, it's annoying. I keep getting people telling me, like, I don't rate him. But, I like, I really do, do rate Bernardo Silva. So, yeah. And then, final question... Um, this is sort of like a, one just about Chelsea in general so someone asked me to discuss Chelsea's strikers, wingers and midfielder situation and where, where I think they'll finish so striker situation is a bit weird because I don't think anyone's good enough long term but obviously there's not, they've got a transfer ban there's nothing they can do about that until um, I don't know if it's January or until end of the season whenever they can sign players again but yeah, for the for, for the foreseeable future, they're gonna, they're just gonna have Drew, um, Abraham and Batshuayi. So I think Drew is probably the best striker of the three, but well, he's definitely the best striker of the three. But he's probably like the worst goal scorer. Like if you play them for a whole season each, um, Drew would probably get the least goals out of all three. I just think. His only good goal-scoring season ever in England was when he had, like, Prime Alexis and Prime Ozil. You know, two of the best creators in the Prem at the time. Um, you know, creating for him and putting crosses in. And even then, he still went on, on like, a 15-game goal drought. So, what Giroud excels at is sort of just his... 
Um, he brings like wingers into the game. He brings other players into the game. Not just wingers. Like he brings, you know, for example, Mason Mount the other day. I think it was Sunday against Leicester. Giroud created a couple of good chances from just with like flick-ons with like his chest or headers, you know, stuff like that. So I don't buy this whole argument that Giroud's like amazing at, you know, uh, you know he gets a lot of praise. Like and for the World Cup example, he got a lot of praise for Griezmann being good and Mbappe being good, etc. But I don't really buy it. Like I don't really think that makes him a good striker. But um, it makes he's definitely better in that aspect than like an Abraham or Batshuayi, who are definitely just penalty box strikers. Like if you play those guys, you know you're just gonna get a decent number of goals. But when you pass the ball to them or when they have their back to goal, you're not getting. You're just gonna lose the ball. You know they're pretty much useless outside the box. I'd say. So. It's a tricky one because I don't know who who I'd start. It depends on who I'd start out wide as well. So, if you play like a Willian and Pulisic, it doesn't it seems a bit counterproductive to then play Giroud as well because Willian and Pulisic they're not really they don't really run in behind much. They're sort of more well. I think Pulisic runs in behind a fair bit, but he's not really. I don't see him as like a, um, a winger that gets in the box a lot. He's like a creative winger. I think where he tries to create chances, same as Willian even though he's not that good at it, but that is still his profile, like, that's what he is, so, I'd say they should just try and play Giroud until he inevitably goes on a bad run of form, and then start, obviously, Tammy can come off the bench like he did against Leicester, but slowly just give him more and more minutes, and I think, for this season, Tammy should be the number one striker, like, right now, stay with, stick with Giroud, but Tammy will get goals this season, like, I'm confident he'll get goals, he's a good penalty box striker, I know there's not really any sort of evidence for this, but I just his he gets a lot of chances. Like even at Swansea, his expected goals was pretty good in a terrible team. And you know, you saw in the United game, he had a couple of good chances. In the Liverpool game, he he missed like a tap in, which is not great. But at least he's getting in those positions. You know, Giroud barely gets any chances. Um, so I just think. Abraham's goal scoring potential is a lot higher than Jerusalem's and Batshuayi is almost like a non sort of like he's he's like a similar player to Abraham but he's like six seven years older so what's even the point in you know surely you just want to develop the young player a lot more so yeah that's what I do um and then wingers Chelsea's winger situation is not that bad to be honest obviously it's not it's not the same as when Hazard was there but Hudson and Doyle is really good. Pulisic is like really good. Well, I mean, for his age, like Hudson Doyle is not an amazing Premier League winger yet, but he's gonna be very soon. And Pulisic looks quite good. Pedro and William are useful players, but they're not players that you want starting more than fifteen twenty games this season. So, obviously, Hudson and Doyle is injured, so one of Pedro and William have to play. You know, for now. And I'd, I'd say go with Pedro because it looks like Giroud is the number one striker right now. And, you know, Pedro Pedro's another one that sort of feeds off strikers. And, he, you know, he's got good movement, he runs in behind, takes a lot of shots. He's not really a creative winger, he's a goal-scoring winger. So I'd say Pedro and Pulisic for now. And then slowly sort of, when, when Hudson, whenever Hudson is back, I think he's in training now. Um, slowly integrate him into the team because he will be better than Pedro and William very soon if it isn't already. And then midfielders. Um, so yeah, the midfield situation is a bit weird because 
they don't really have like a set formation yet. It's like they're switching between 4-2-3-1 and 4-3-3. Um, and it looks like Mount is now... Obviously, Lampard loves Mount from last season at Derby. And he just... A lot of people are saying he's the new Lampard. So, it kind of make, like... I, I can tell like he's going to get a lot of minutes this season. Um, but, yeah, I think 4-2-3-1... The only thing is with a 4-2-3-1 is that... I don't see any of attacking midfielders in that squad. Like, Barkley's an attacking midfielder. But he's so much worse than all the other midfielders at the club that it's not worth playing that formation just to have him as depth there like I think they've got the midfield personnel to play a 4-3-3 but Mount doesn't really fit into that yet so for now a 4-2-3-1 and when Loftus-Cheek is back go to a 4-3-3 I'd say and if Mount is good enough he'll he'll force his way into the team and they'll have to play a 4-2-3-1 and then Loftus-Cheek will have to play as a 10 and share minutes but I just don't see Loftus Cheek as a ten. Like I think it's a waste of his, of his uh, talents, of his qualities. Like what he's good at is driving with the ball, um, and you know just passing and drip stuff like that. Like he he's not a player that you want getting the ball between the lines, like a Mount does. You know and and taking loads of shots. He's a player that will progress the play when he picks the ball up from deep. You know, so he's definitely attack minded, but he's just not a number ten for me. And then, yeah, you've got um, Kante is obviously a first name on the team sheet. And then Jorginho and Kovacic will be quite a big sort of... I think it'll be one of them rather than both of them. And um, it's weird because if you play a 4 for 3 If you play a 4 for 3 with Kovacic, Kante and Jorginho, you end up with the same situation last year where Kante is probably your best midfielder like going forward. Like your best offensive midfielder. And you don't... That's not great, is it? So... You'd want to really you want to play two of them, two of Kante, Kovacic, and Jorginho with a Loftus cheek or with a mount. Um, you know, so I think for now they should probably go with uh, I think I prefer Kovacic, I think Kovacic is better than Jorginho, but um, and he does like Kovacic does a lot of like defensive work, like he's very underrated in that aspect. So you know, playing Jorginho, who's he's a decent passer. But, you know, he doesn't, you know, him and Kante sort of, Kante's so good defensively that you almost, doesn't matter if the midfield next to him is great defensively because that midfield will still work. So I think you'd rather just, you, you would rather just play someone who at least contributes going forward like Kovacic does, you know, he's a great dribbler, he's a decent passer. And yeah, like that is, I think for now they should go with Kovacic and Kante and then with an attacking midfielder. And then, yeah, Loftus-Cheek comes in for Mount or whoever. Like, say say Kovacic turns out to be shit this season. Then, yeah, Loftus-Cheek comes in. I still think that midfield would probably work. Or even, a you know, a midfield three of um, Kovacic, Loftus-Cheek and Kante. They got they got quite a lot of options. So the situation is nowhere near as bad as people make out. Like, their midfield is pretty good. And even Bakayoko, like, a lot of people laugh. But he's he's, like, an amazing ball winner. Like, I think he should still be like somewhat involved but I think he's probably gone now so yeah but that's what I do and then and then yeah last question was where do I think Chelsea will finish and that is quite that is actually pretty tricky because we've only seen two games in them and like well three games actually what am I saying but it, the thing is yeah there's been like a recurring theme in all those games and it's 
they seem to press like crazy for the first 15 20 minutes and then they burn out and the second half's terrible and against less like i genuinely don't know what lampard's doing because against leicester that was so the second half was so bad like they should have really lost that game 3-1 you know they should have lost that game and i don't understand like if lampard thinks that sort of like if that's a good way of like, I, f- I don't know if you think that's sustainable like over 90 minutes let alone across a whole season so yeah i'm sort of really confused by what he's doing and you know i think the players he's picking are good but the whole pressing thing is a bit like uh, it just seems mad to me like they are starting the first five minutes like nothing i've ever seen before like against united the amount of chances they had or half chances was crazy it was like they're all on crack or something and then the same thing happened against leicester like i think they had that shot in the first minute with Pedro, I think. And then they had, like, another chance straight after. And then Mount had a shot. And then Pulisic had a rebound. Like, it was, cr- it was crazy. They probably created more in those first five minutes than they have in the rest of the match. And, you know, it just it was so obvious that they were burnt out by, like, the... F- like, even the end of the first half, they were so burnt out. And, yeah, Leicester really should have won. So, yeah, to answer the question, rather than waffling, I think... Realistically, they'll probably get sixth, but you know I can't see them finishing above United or Arsenal, and obviously Tottenham, Liverpool, City will, will probably be top three teams. But um, but I don't think anyone else outside the top six has impressed me that much, like in the transfer window or just in the league yet. Um, you know a lot of people are saying Chelsea will finish like tenth and stuff, and there's there's no way that Everton or West Ham or a team like that finish above Chelsea. Like if anyone outside the top six finishes above Chelsea, it'll be. Leicester or Wolves, there's no way anyone else does it. So, realistically, things are not going to go terribly wrong for Lampard, but I think he has to sort of, he has to just think about the st- what style of play he wants, you know, to implement. Because this whole pressing thing that he's doing is just not, that is not going to work. Like, that is not going to be successful for the whole season. Against teams like, you know, against shit teams, maybe, like, I don't know, Newcastle, if you get that first goal in the first five minutes, then the whole game becomes a lot easier, you can control the game, maybe that's what he's trying to do, but so far, if you come up against good teams like Leicester, like Liverpool, like United, they will score against you if, you, if you're, you know, tied by, like, the 45th minute, so, yeah, I think six, but if they finish 7th or 8th behind Leicester or Wolves, I wouldn't be, like completely shocked you know I'd be a lot more shocked that, that, that if they finished top 4 or even top 5 than if they finished you know 7th or 8th so yeah hopefully that's answered all the questions this one's quite long as well my bad but you know hopefully I've got loyal listeners that'll go the whole way so yeah thanks